Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I am not going to preach as long today. It's all by design. If the design is poor, I'll answer for it someday. The design is for you to be more active today in singing more and for me not to tire you out by the time we come to the Lord's table. For it to be a later day, not later in content, but later in effort put forth. And not for me. All you have to do is get me to 117a, and I can go for hours in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 1. And I have before, and I listened to it last night before going to bed, just to reassure me that there was enough content. And there was plenty. I want to be as simple as I possibly can today, and the theme is this simple. It is to exalt the glory of God in the salvation of sinners. It's to exalt God's glory in saving us. It's to take away any thought of glory for ourselves and to give Him all the glory. It is verse 30 that I want you to never forget after this sermon and the second sermon in the second service. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I want you to remember that verse. I want you to appreciate the but. I want you to appreciate the of Him and of God. I want you to appreciate in Christ Jesus. I want you to appreciate four conjunction ands in one of the strangest lists in the Bible where we get and, 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 and to lend weight and beauty to the four things that Jesus Christ secured for us by the appointment of God. So when you look at it, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, of him, we're in Christ, of God, Christ is made for certain things to us, and it's because there will be no glorying in heaven except to God's grace and Jesus Christ. And so it says that before the verse, that no flesh should glory in his presence, and it says it after the verse, in verse 31, that, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. There's going to be no glorying in heaven. I have heard testimonies in my lifetime. In Arminian churches, I have heard testimonies of people can't wait to get to heaven so that they can thank some man, soul winner, or person, or preacher, evangelist that got them there. There is no man, nor person, nor soul winner, nor preacher, nor evangelist that has ever got anyone to heaven, including the Apostle Paul. There's only one man that gets us to heaven, and it's the man Christ Jesus. And when we get there, we're going to have been chosen in Him, and He's going to have been appointed for us to do these four things for us, and we will be saved. God Jehovah made all things for Himself, for His pleasure, both the saved and the unsaved. When the Bible says, the Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. That's because the inspired author of this book, that is God Himself, knows that a question would come up in the minds of people, does that even include sinners and their judgment? So when it says, the Lord hath made all things for Himself, 
someone will raise their hand and, and ask, Preacher, do you mean even the wicked in the day of judgment? And so the Lord wrote, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even, and that's drawing an extreme case to prove the point, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. The Lord, Jehovah, has made all things for himself, both the saved and the unsaved, both of which are in this passage. The design and execution of salvation is for the glory of God through Jesus Christ's work for the elect. God did not create, get surprised by our folly, then come upon a remedy, and then get mocked by 95% of mankind that didn't like his remedy. God planned to display his glory by an incarnate son, allow man's free will to fall in Eden, doesn't have one sense, and then divide sinners into the elect and the reprobates. Those are Bible words. Who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? There's a class of man called the elect. And then there's reprobates in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, which is just the opposite of election. Reprobation is rejection. Election is choosing. Two terms to describe God making a difference among sinners. Some would say it doesn't sound fair to me. And I agree. It doesn't sound fair to me. I don't know why he elected any. But I guess he wanted to show his grace. and I know he wanted to show his grace and his goodness and his glory by saving some. The proper preaching of the correct doctrine of Jesus Christ offends natural men and natural thinking. Let me say it again. The proper preaching of the correct doctrine of Jesus Christ offends men and their natural thinking. But that correct preaching of the right doctrine delights and encourages spiritual men in their minds. It lights them up while it cuts others and drives them away. The same message. It's a two-edged sword. It is a saver in the nostrils of God, of life unto life, and of death unto death. Those that are dead, it manifests their death and their reprobation. Those that have eternal life already, it manifests that they are already saved. And so 1 Corinthians 1, and so 2 Corinthians 2, and so 1 Corinthians 2, and so Romans 9, and so the New Testament teaches us these things. We have communion today, so we have the high pleasure and privilege to focus on our salvation in Jesus Christ. When Jonah declared, and this is where these words are found in the Bible, when Jonah declared, salvation is of the Lord. He had far inferior circumstances to ours. He was simply in a whale's belly and was going to be vomited up on dry land. That's nothing compared to him saving me. But better yet, he saved you. So salvation is of the Lord as we come to communion today. Let us study this passage backward. I want to do it in the opposite direction that I usually take or always take. Let's examine the text and then see its place in its larger context. Isaiah taught us in Isaiah chapter 12, and I wouldn't say that he was teaching reversing the normal order of preaching, but he did write us and say, draw water out of the wells of salvation. So let's watch ripples spread out this time by not starting with the ripples out here and working our way in, Let's start where we drop the stone in the well of salvation and watch the ripples move out. So let's start at 30. 
Let's go to its immediate context of 29 and 31, and let's go to its broader context of 117 to 216. Let me just tell you right here, Paul is on a rabbit trail to humble the Corinthians to exalt the glory of God. They were a proud church. He leaves, in verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1, the fact that there were preacher factions at Corinth. Some of the Corinthians said, we're of Cephas, meaning we like Peter best. Others were of Paul, others were of Apollos, and some spiritually minded zealots, and I mean that with quotation marks, said we're of Christ. So they had four preacher factions at Corinth, and Paul brings it up in verses 10 through 16, drops it, and picks it up again at 3-1. Picks the very same thing up again at 3-1. But in between, we have him running a rabbit trail, and when Paul runs a rabbit trail, it's an inspired one. And when Paul runs an inspired rabbit trail, he always gets his rabbit. And what he's going to do is humble the Corinthians by pointing out that they're... Listen, Corinth was just a few miles from Athens. This was supposedly the center of the wisdom of the world. But when you preach to the Greeks, they considered the gospel foolishness. And so Paul is going to humble this church that needs humbling, and he's going to teach us a great deal about the purpose and the effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ on men. And that he has to make a difference before there's any difference in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has to make the difference. There's no eloquence that can make the difference. There's no volume that can make the difference. There's no praise band to make the difference. There's no wisdom of words nor oratorical ability that makes the difference. God has to make the difference. Then it doesn't matter that there's a lack of oratorical ability or pulpit manner because all they want to hear from ignorant fishermen is the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was no ignorant fisherman, but the other apostles were. And so that's here in the context. But we're going to zero in on verse 30. So here we go. Verse 30, by itself, we have dropped a stone in the well of salvation and we're watching the ripples move out, but let's find this verse and never forget it in 1 Corinthians 1. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Every word of God is pure, and every word of this verse is precious to me. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, including the but that begins this verse, because that but is important to set it in contradistinction to verses 29 and 31. The verse is glorious. It states God's choices. Two choices. A choice to put the Corinthians and us in Christ, and the choice to send Christ to do certain things for us. They're both there. One is of Him, the other is of God. They're both there. There's two choices. There's two appointments. There's two ordinations. Us to eternal life in Christ, and Christ to secure it for us by these four things that are later in the verse. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Remember, there was no and in 1 Timothy 3.16 except to open the verse. Though it was a list of six things. There wasn't even an and before number six thing. 
Here I've got four ands because it slows me down and makes me think about each one. And so I want to go over each one with you. Salvation is of the Lord, and this verse and the ones before and following all declare that. Those little prepositions of our English language are huge here. The little prepositions like of, of him, of God. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Oh, that of is huge. It's huge. It's by, through, and because of God that we're in Christ Jesus. And how is Jesus Christ set up to be the perfect deliverer, the perfect Savior, the perfect servant of God, to bring us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption? Because it's of God. Again, God, by God and because of God, Jesus Christ is a perfect Savior. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. These things are some of the most precious things known in the universe, in heaven or earth, but unknown by most men. It's what endless wisdom was involved in designing and executing this plan of salvation. And you are privileged to hear it this morning, not because I'm here, but because God gave us a book and revealed it to us. First of all, he gave us the revelation, and then he gave us the hearts and the ears and the eyes to want to see it, hear it, and understand it. It's all of God. Salvation is of the Lord. The inspired disjunctive but that opens the verse opposes the previous verse. I hope I've already shown you that. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But I don't want to explain that verse yet. Verse 30, but so that no flesh would glory in his presence, God's arranged salvation in a way that eliminates that possibility. That's what that but is there for. There will be no glorying in the presence of God, especially by flesh. And I love it when the Bible calls men flesh, reducing them. It's a slighting term. Flesh. Well, don't we have a little bit more than that? Flesh. That flesh should glory in his presence. Whose breath is in his nostrils. Who will give any account of him? Isaiah 2.22. I love for the Lord to put me down and to put him up. And I love for the Lord to put you down and to put him up. And that's what we want to do as a church always. And that's how we started out this morning. I've never had a moment of silence in my life. That is your pastor. But since Habakkuk 2.20 said it, let all the earth keep silence before him, we kept silence for a minute before him. You know, the world that's out there doing this so much right now, they're the ones that ought to be keeping silence before him. Because he cometh. The Bible says, behold, he cometh. And Enoch prophesied, the seventh from Adam prophesied and saying, He cometh with ten thousands of his saints. To convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds that they have ungodly committed. It's coming. We can rest in it. You can be assured of it. The inspired disjunctive but is to, is to be opposite the previous verse. No flesh is going to glory in the presence of God. In opposition to men getting glory in heaven... God designed salvation to eliminate it. God has so arranged the gift of eternal life from just damnation that he gets all the glory, all of it. He not only chose us in Christ Jesus, but he ordained Jesus Christ to do all the work. It's all in this one verse. The conjunction that, 
used to open the verses before and after explain why he chose that no flesh should glory in his presence makes verse 29 a dependent clause on what is stated in verse 28 and 27 and 26 because it's one long sentence. God did all the choosing in 26, 27, and 28 and 29 starts with a conjunction that and it tells us why he made all the choices. It tells us why he chose the foolish and base things of the world. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. That's where that fits in. And we have another that that opens up verse 31. That, according as it is written. So it is God making the choice of us in Christ in verse 30. It's God making a choice of Christ to do something for us in verse 30. That, according as it is written in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord and not glory in anyone or anything else. Individually and corporately as a church, let us always make sure God and His Son get all the glory here. We don't have flags up. We're thankful to be American citizens, but we don't put anything up. We don't have statues of Peter. We may put a stone out front, but we're not going to put a statue out front. And our stone is to remember Him. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. It's all about Him. The elect, those chosen in previous verses, are in Christ Jesus. Look at that 30th verse. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. The prepositional phrase of Him means God puts you in Christ. Remember, all spiritual blessings are in Jesus Christ, and you need to be in Him to get those spiritual blessings. And God puts you in Christ to get those spiritual blessings. Here, the blessings are listed as being four. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. But how are you getting Christ? Because you were chosen in Him. You have chosen in verse 28. God's chosen things. Verse 27, chosen. And it's called in verse 26. But that called is not a request. It's not an offer. That call is an ordination and an appointment to eternal life. Because it is something that comes before the gospel call. It's something that makes a difference when the gospel is preached to you. So it comes before it. A man's calling is not that the telephone rings and it says, would you like to be a doctor? That's not a man's calling. A man's calling is being gifted in a certain field and exercising that gift. We're given the gift of eternal life. The apostle Paul was called to be an apostle. He didn't get a phone call. He didn't get a text. How would you like to be an apostle? He got knocked down to the ground, and the Bible tells us that God had already separated the Apostle Paul to the ministry from his mother's womb. That's when he was called to the ministry. So, I was just pointing out that in verse 26, it's calling, which is appointment or ordination to an end. The Apostle Paul would write it this way in Acts 13, 48. Luke would write it this way. Paul would preach it this way. Luke would explain and describe the Gentiles that loved to hear Paul preach this way, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Which here is, as many as were called to eternal life believed. As many as were called believed. But it's being ordained or appointed. And you should be able to figure that out rather easily by reading the sentence. The sentence uses called in verse 26, but it uses chosen in verse 27, and it uses chosen in verse 28, so it's defining called for you. That you're chosen, appointed, and ordained to eternal life, and that makes the difference on why you hear the gospel and you love it. That's why it pricks you into saying, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then it cuts other men, and they gnash with their teeth on the speaker, 
and plug up their ears and run with stones to stone a preacher. What makes the difference? One's saved and one's reprobate. One's saved and one's perishing. That's the difference. But of him, all things are of him and by Jesus. Remember last Sunday from 1 Corinthians 8, 6, all things are of him, all things are by Christ. And so it is in this verse. It's of him that we're in Christ. And then it's Christ being appointed to do the work for us. So it's of God's electing grace and it's by Christ's work on the cross, which we get to remember today. This choice by God has been clearly emphasized in this long context here. Being in Christ Jesus is absolutely crucial to eternal life. Romans 8, 28. And we could go for 12 verses. But Romans 8, 28. For we know that all, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. People like to throw that around like it's a candy cane. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. All things work together for good. And then it describes those that love God. To them who are the called. To them who are the pointed. To them who are the ordained. To them who are the chosen according to His purpose. His purpose is in there in our lives. And He will fulfill His purpose. And who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect because of the finished work God has planned for us and that Jesus Christ executed? We would never have chosen God or Christ. We had gladly chosen the devil's palace and wanted to stay there. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There wasn't a bit of difference in us. But it's God, it's of Him that we are in Christ Jesus. Ye in Christ Jesus are those made different from others by God's gracious choice. So it says in that 30th verse, but, you know what that's there for? Of Him, you know what that's saying? It's God that did it. Are ye in Christ? The Corinthians were in Christ Jesus and seen there, and they were chosen in Him before the world began so that they could sing 453 in the Burgundy hymnal as well. "'Twas with an everlasting love, God did His own elect embrace." and laid them on Christ's bosom in covenant. We weren't there. Christ wasn't there in covenant. It's the everlasting covenant. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. But what does it say before that? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But what does it say before that? But ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Because ye believe not, ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. And then verse 28, My Father which gave them me, I give unto them eternal life. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And so it's of God. It's of Him. When we open up this 1 Corinthians 1.30, it's of Him. And today... I've been preaching to you that Jesus Christ is the yea and the amen of all the promises of God, and it fits today. That's why it was on your preparatory email last night. I couldn't go anywhere else. But I want you to be able to tie this verse to it when we come to the Lord's table, because the Lord's table is to remember His death till He comes, and at His death He put into force these promises of God and these guarantees and the purpose of why we're in Christ, and that is to be given ultimate perfect wisdom, to be given ultimate perfect righteousness, 
perfect holiness, which is sanctification, and perfect redemption bought back from the claim of God's law. We are free, and salvation is of the Lord. And we celebrate it at the Lord's table. Christ Jesus. You're in Christ Jesus. Those Corinthians were, and so are we. Christ Jesus is the one ordained and assigned by God to save us by God's wise ordination. And God made the choice. It says, who of God? That who? Who is the who? It's Christ Jesus that comes right in front of that pronoun. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God? That Jesus Christ was by God made unto us those four things. He, was always, he always had a job to do. When his parents came and told him, and I'm using parents in the way the Bible does sometimes, about Joseph and Mary, plural. When his parents came and said, don't you know we were worried about you? He said, did you forget that I must be about my father's business? And the father's business was what God had chosen us in Christ for and what he had chosen Christ to do. And he has always set toward that ministry to die for us. God made Jesus our solution for wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Here are four of the many facets of the gift of eternal life, like those of a diamond. When you take a diamond and get it in the light and turn it, if it's cut well, all you got to do is turn it just a little tiny bit and you see another surface reflecting light off to your eye and you can see all these different facets on this one stone. And the one stone in the Bible is the gift of eternal life. But God has described it under so many different terms to beautify it. Right. If, a, if a diamond just had one facet, it'd be, it'd be really ugly. It'd be like the gravel in your driveway. And so we want to see all the different angles. And there's four of them in this one verse. Four right here. Wisdom is the intellectual, intelligence, or prudence aspect of our soul salvation. Righteousness is the legal, forensic, judicial, or imputational aspect of our salvation. Sanctification is the religious, holiness, consecration, or separation part of salvation. Redemption is the economic, financial, purchase, or ransom aspect. Wisdom is an intellectual word. Righteousness is a legal word. Sanctification is a religious word. Redemption is an economic word. And so the Lord gives us, He just wants to beautify salvation. And that's what Isaiah 12 was about. Let's dip some beauty out of the well of salvation and shout praise to the Lord for what he's done for us. Wisdom. God made Jesus the perfect solution for our wisdom indirectly and directly. First of all, he made Jesus so wise, the Bible says of him, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you think he can get the job done from a smart standpoint in heaven? Because he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Is he smart enough to know you, your situation, what he did for you, your name in the book of life, and to save you with Almighty God? So he's wisdom directly. He's wisdom indirectly because God's wise plan of a virgin birth. Listen, God to put the everlasting covenant into force as a last will and testament has to die. But God can't die. So what does he do? He incarnates his son who can die because we are redeemed by the death of his son, the virgin birth, his resurrection, his miracle power. He had so much wisdom, his ascension into heaven. So he is the wisdom and the power of God. When we look back up there at verse 24, 
And we see that those that are chosen, when they hear the preaching of the gospel, they look at Jesus Christ and say, that is the wisdom of God. That is the power of God. Because he had both as much as there is. And so he's our wisdom. And so many verses could be raised about wisdom. Uh, look at... Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 1, very quickly. Ephesians chapter 1 was read to you moments ago. Ephesians 1, 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. The wisdom and prudence in the forgiveness of our sins and the redemption of our souls and our adoption as the sons of God is transcendent wisdom. And so it says that. You know, in verse 7 of Ephesians 1, it says, In whom we have redemption, that's in the Beloved, that's in the Lord Jesus Christ through His blood, that's the Lord Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. God has abounded in wisdom. So God, choosing us in Christ, and then appointing Christ to come for us, he is, Christ has made unto us wisdom. It is the wisdom of God. And if I was to show you in Ephesians 3 and verse 10, it says it is to show the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the elect angels, the manifold wisdom of God. God wanted to show the elect angels His manifold wisdom in being able to design a plan of salvation to reach a race of beings below the angels and to save some of them. He's our wisdom. He's our righteousness. God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jerry referred to it in, in his passage that he read and in his prayer. Daniel chapter 9 says that there were, there were 70 weeks of years until Messiah would bring in everlasting righteousness. We have righteousness that will never go away. We have righteousness that is as perfect as Jesus Christ's righteousness. And so the Bible teaches us. And sanctification... My dis wisdom is an intellectual word. How smart are you? How smart is God? How smart is Jesus? It's infinite, both directly and indirectly. Jesus' wisdom himself and God's wisdom in his use of Jesus. How can God be just and a justifier when he cannot acquit or clear wicked men? He brings up the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus can die for us and he can be just and a justifier. He can be perfectly just, punishing every single offense against his law, but he punishes it through a substitute so that he's just and a justifier. So it's righteousness. Now it's sanctification. Sanctification is to make someone holy. Things that are sanctified in the Old Testament were consecrated to God by, by ordinances that God made. You know, a thumb with blood on it and sprinkling of blood and, and certain uses of water and sacrifices. Sanctification is to be made holy. If, when we call a person a saint in the Bible, and the Bible uses that term many, many times, saint is a sanctified person, meaning a holy person. A sanctuary is a sanctified place, meaning a holy place. And so we've got the word sanctification here. What, what is the little expression that the four beasts constantly say about the God in heaven that we're going to meet? What did Isaiah hear very loudly in Isaiah 6, when he had a vision of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We've never seen anything holy. Isaiah had never seen anything holy. That's why it brought him to his knees shouting, woe is me. 
But do you know what Jesus has made unto us? Sanctification. Amen. He makes us holy. Right. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10.10 10, and other verses. And then he is our redemption. Redemption is an economic term. It means that you bought something back that someone else had a claim on it. You went to the pawn shop and redeemed it. You bought it back. We were under the claim of God's law. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. God's law condemned us to death. We were under the claim of that law. But we were bought back from that by Jesus suffering all the claims of that law in our place because he had no sin. So he took ours and he suffered under that law. And he just didn't die any ordinary death. He died the death of crucifixion by hanging on a tree. And the Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So he took the curse for us so that we could be redeemed from the claim of the law. And that's redemption in the Bible. I mean, that's redemption as simply as it can be put and as short as it can be put. It deserves a sermon of its own and it's got them in the past. But it's an economic term. And there's a little and in between each one of these for you to just stop and delight in each one. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that no flesh should glory in his presence, that as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen.